Most everyone has been through a new employee orientation, but few of us have been either onboarded well ourselves or lead in organizations where we're intentional about onboarding others effectively. In this episode, how to get better at onboarding employees. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 288. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And speaking of leaders being made, one of the skills that many of us need to learn, if we haven't already, is the skill and even the art of bringing employees into the organization. And many of us have attended, when we've started new jobs, orientation sessions or orientation meetings at the beginning of our new employment. And yet, uh, many organizations do not do a great job even today of onboarding employees. And today, I'm really glad to welcome someone who's an expert in onboarding employees and is going to give us a lot of perspective that'll be helpful to each of us in our organizations on how we can do this more effectively. And my guest today is Amanda Davis. Amanda grew up in a small rural town in Southern Virginia, where she began her work journey at the age of 14 at a hot dog stand in front of the local Winn-Dixie, and she's been enamored with the service experience since day one. She served in executive leadership roles in the hospitality industry, including as director of brand culture for Hilton Worldwide. Today, she's an executive consultant with 25 years of professional leadership and management experience, specializing in the development and implementation of strategies and programs for better service delivery. Amanda, I'm so curious, what was it about the hot dog stand at Winn-Dixie that got you so excited so long ago? Yeah, my claim to fame there, Dave, my uh, you know hot dog stand working at Winn-Dixie. You know, what got me excited about that was that it, it was one of the first times that I really experienced independence in that way, and I knew that I was going to be earning a paycheck, and I realized as I started to work with the customers there that it was something that I was actually pretty good at, and it built my confidence. So it it really engaged me in the process, and I had never been a completely outgoing person before then, but I realized that this really unlocked something in me mm-hmm. and allowed me to access something that I had never really known was there before. So it was it was very exciting for me. And, and who knew all these years later that it would lead me where I am. <laughs> it's so funny where our careers lead us, isn't it? And that's so exciting that you had that experience in your first position. I, I think that's what so many of us want as leaders to create for the people that we bring in in the organization. And and yet, it doesn't always work that way, does it? <laughs> oh, no. It certainly doesn't always work that way, if only, right? <laughs> yeah, it'd be great if it did. And and that's actually a good segue into our conversation, which is about onboarding. And uh, like you have, I, I've attended a whole bunch of different kinds of experiences over the years and working with different organizations, client organizations, and seeing lots of people do it differently. And the the most traditional thing I've seen is to have like an orientation day or an orientation session when someone comes in and and, and uh, begins in a new position. And one of the distinctions you and I uh, had talked about previously is the distinction between an orientation and onboarding. I'm wondering if you could say something about the, the, the difference between those two things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right about that. You know, we've all been through these and we've all seen it. Uh, some Some of us have seen it done well and others, well, it's been a little bit lacking. But really the difference between an orientation and onboarding is that an orientation gives you a, a relative position or direction of something. So that sounds pretty vague, right? A relative position or direction of something. So it's kind of when you have people come in and, and you give them this information and you give them the gist of things and then you send them out. That's an orientation. Hmm. Onboarding, however, is a bit more comprehensive and, in my opinion, quite a bit more thoughtful. So onboarding is actually what we look at as the socialization process in which you're integrating a new employee into the organization. So it's not something where you're saying, hey, here's a a relative direction, but it's saying, let's go through a socialization process and really integrate you into this organization. And in doing that, it allows us to really engage with that team member and to start building relationship and creating emotional connection. And this is what helps us create loyalty with those new team members as they join our organization. So that's the difference there, the nuances between orientation and onboarding. And as you're saying all those things, it it makes sense that we should all be doing that as an organization and to be intentional about that from a leadership standpoint. And yet... It's been my experience that a lot of organizations don't do that. And we talked about this in the intro a bit of this isn't really standard practice a lot of places. And I'm curious what you've seen, Amanda, what is generally what a lot of organizations do? What is kind of the typical standard practice in places? Well, you know, I refer to it in two different terms. So typically what I've seen in my experience are two different ways that this is handled. So the first way I call initiation by fire. And the second way I call initiation by fire hose. (laughs) So, Uh you know, the first way, initiation by fire. This one is typically the one, you know, where an individual is asked to come in, new team member, you know, typically come in 30 minutes or an hour before the start of your your first day, and um, we're going to sit you down, and we're going to throw a bunch of paperwork at you, and we're going to check off all of our boxes, and we're going to make sure that we're good from an HR and legal perspective, and then we're just going to kind of give you the general direction, and we're going to put you to work. So that becomes initiation by fire, right, because they filled out paperwork. They've had a paper party, but they haven't had any kind of a welcome party, and they don't really know what the expectations are. This does not necessarily convey a very warm and fuzzy feeling on that first day, and it certainly does not facilitate building a relationship and creating engagement. Yeah, can I say something about the first one too? I've I've been sure. through that in an organization, and it's well intended, <laughs> and and you get all the paperwork. And there's I remember starting a job once where there was like a one hour meeting of what you're going to do, and then it was kind of a okay, go at it. And I'm I'm sure the person who conducted that one hour meeting felt like they did a really great job <laughs> of oriented me to the organization, but it really left a lot to be desired. And like you said, it it just didn't. It, it took a long time for me to get traction within the organization because of that, the way that that was handled on the first day. Yeah, it really does. And it's something that, you know, as you said, Dave, that person probably thought that they did a good job because this is the way that they've been trained. This is what they know. So they did what they know really well, but it does leave you lacking. And, you know, initiation by fire can be very unpleasant. 
and it can really lead to team members becoming disillusioned much more quickly in a process than they would otherwise. So, you know, when we look at at the other form of our um, onboarding or orientation, initiation by fire hose, that's taking kind of the opposite. So, you know, this is an organization where they say, we have a ton of information that we want you to know, and we are determined you are going to know it all on the first day of work. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So from soup to nuts, they're going to have you sit down in a room. They're going to feed it all to you through a fire hose. And then when they leave at the end of that day, they're going to check off their boxes and go home feeling accomplished because they're going to say, I got all the necessary paperwork. Um, I taught this new team member about uh, the history of the company. They know everything about our service philosophy. They have been introduced to every potential client scenario. They know the demographics of the customer base. And I also told them where to park. (laughs) (laughs) This is the I've, by the way, done this version too in another organization. And you come home as an employee at the end of the day, kind of with that deer in headlights look of like, oh my goodness, I don't even know where to start with what I've done today or or even over a couple of days in, a, in one case where I did. And it, it it's almost like just, just so much that it just becomes overwhelming. Like you said, I love the analogy of the fire host because the retention of it, you you just can't possibly get everything. No, you're absolutely right. And that is why this is uh, such a challenge. You know, while the initiation by fire hose method is a bit more thoughtful than initiation by fire, it is still not accomplishing what we need to have accomplished because it is not facilitating the building of relationship or creating engagement. You know, when new team members feel overwhelmed and overloaded, it can kind of put them in a defensive mindset because they're leaving at the end of the day not feeling accomplished, but feeling defeated. And is that really how we want team members to feel on their first day of work, that they're not measuring up, that they're not good enough because they couldn't take in all of that massive amount of information that was just thrown at them? So it definitely is not going to accomplish what we hope to. And, you know, In our virtual world, it's really easy to forget the importance of really having authentic face-to-face experiences. And sometimes we don't lend enough importance to the experience to really be thoughtful about it. Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned the word experience here too, because as as I was thinking about our conversation, Amanda, over the last few days, um, I was thinking back on the different jobs I've started. And I can remember in great detail the first day of every job I've ever had, just because it was a big transition point in life or in work. And I remember the ones that went really well, and I remember the ones that didn't go so well. And it really did color my impression of that organization, if not permanently, at least for a while, based upon how things started off. It really does kind of set the tone for the relationship of how you're going to how you're going to engage with the organization. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, team members need to know that you that you care and that you feel that they're worth the effort to give them a good experience. You know, sometimes in our fast-paced, results-driven environments that we have out there in the business environment, you know, setting aside the time that's necessary to properly onboard a team member, sometimes that can feel like that it belongs a little bit closer to the bottom of the priority list than the top. So, you know, 
team members feel that. If you feel like this is an inconvenience and something that you just kind of have to comply with, they feel that and it transfers over. And and they can also, you know, feel when uh, you're having a bit of complacency. You know, I think complacency is something that we all suffer from at various times, but the person facilitating your onboarding with that team member, you know, they can get tired of regurgitating the same information over and over. And sometimes we forget that although that process is routine and commonplace for us, it's the first and only time it's ever going to happen with that new team member. And we don't want to let our complacency steal what is meant to be a great experience for a new team member. Well, I know that's one of the reasons you advocate for a tiered approach that, um, you know, really tries to navigate between these two extremes of certainly we don't want to have the fire hose, but we don't want to have trial by fire either. Um, Let's look at the tiered approach and what are some of the, just the how to do it, but also maybe some of the best practices that, uh, that organizations should be thinking about when designing and being intentional about their onboarding programs. I get really excited when I talk about a tiered approach to onboarding because I think it is very valuable and I think that it allows for a lot more um, foundation for new team members, which is going to help accomplish all the things that we want to overall. So, you know, being a big fan of this primarily because it, it allows for a more gradual absorption of this massive amount of information related to doing one's job. It helps overcome the obstacle of overwhelming that new team member. Doing a tiered approach, it can give an opportunity to gain valuable job perspective from that team member before they go into a deep dive and situational examples. So it, it, it is really a valuable approach. And, and what I do is um, I recommend a two-tiered approach. So in doing that, you know, we want to make sure first and foremost uh, in, a, in any approach that you determine to do that you think about how you're going to do it. You know, creating a plan is very important. So first and foremost, you want to determine what your objectives are, right? You have to determine your objectives. So typically, some of the objectives that are going to be accomplished through an onboarding process are, you know, instilling pride in new team members to be part of the team, introducing them to the components that are differentiators for your organization. What are your competitive advantages? What makes you stand out from others? You certainly want to introduce them to your service culture or philosophy, uh, create emotional connections between existing team members and the organization, things of that sort. So, you know, determining those objectives are very important before you set out to create this format. Around measurement, I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we think about things like pride and engagement, those are, of course, harder things a lot of times for us to measure. When you've put these together before, Amanda, what are the kinds of things that you um, advise leaders to be thinking about and organizations to be thinking about as far as some of the metrics that they should look at, if not immediately over time, to determine if they're doing a good job with this? Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's really important. And, you know, in the business environment, I don't know any businesses who are not currently talking about metrics, right? So we have to be able to measure things like this. And, and fortunately, something like a, a very robust and strong foundation of an onboarding process is fairly easy to measure. The first measurement for that is turnover. You know, turnover occurs for many reasons. We know that. But there are a few things that are at the top of the list when it comes to turnover. And that is uh, team members feeling undervalued, 
them receiving too little coaching and not enough feedback and lack of decision-making ability. So these are all at the top of the list. So turnover being very measurable, um, worth a significant amount of savings to the bottom line of any organization. You know, with an average entry-level position salary of, say, $40,000, it's going to cost on average approximately $16,000 to replace that employee. So that is a very measurable uh, statistic and metric that you can refer to. And and so I'm curious about this approach and and doing the different tiers of how does that look logistically? So if I'm if I'm thinking about this thing, okay, you know, maybe I've been doing the half day orientation or or whatever for a long period of time. Um, what are some of the things that that would be places I could start to make this better? So great place to start here is to look at like I said a tiered approach, and I recommend a two tiered approach. So part one, let's talk about that. Part one typically would be conducted on day one. You really want to get this uh, to your team member before they ever hit the ground in that new job. You want to cover the basics here. So you want to think about what does a team member need to know so they can just start functioning in their role. Ideally, this uh, part one is going to be, oh, somewhere between, say, 90 minutes and two hours. And really what you're doing here is you're striving to create a really compelling understanding of the organization and what you stand for. So when a team member completes part one, they should feel informed, excited, and motivated to be part of that team. You know, we're not looking to give them the entire rundown. This is part one. This is 90 minutes, two hours. During that time, we definitely need to share with them those critical work processes. You know, think about it. When you go into a new job on the first day, you really do need to have certain information. Where do you park? Where's the restroom? Where do I eat my meals? When do I get paid? You know, this is where you also cover life safety and mission critical procedures. So there's some things like that that are very important to a team member on the first day to allow them to feel part of a team. You know, I remember back years ago when I started a job and I, I was young and, you know, so I, I really didn't know what to expect. And, and I went through an orientation, so I thought, this is going to be great. And I tell you, that orientation lasted the better part of a day. And the first day that I worked my shift, I didn't know what to do uh, for my meal but there was a restaurant where I worked, so I went and ordered food from the restaurant, and they told me I got a discount, and um, so I got my food, and then I went in the restaurant, and I sat down to eat, and, uh, you know, I got approached by the manager of the restaurant, who was none too nice about it, and said, you're not allowed to eat in here. You're an employee. You have to go to the employee area, oh. and um, yeah, so I did, but... But wow, you know, I was embarrassed, I was mortified, I, I felt, you know, like, oh my gosh, I've made the wrong decision, I should have known this. And then, you know, looking back on it years later, somebody should have told me that, shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. And well, that's the kind of thing that spending some time being intentional about this, it, it, like you said earlier, it's the things that a lot of times we don't think about because it's just part of the how we do things around here. But sometimes we need to really, I shouldn't say sometimes, we need to really, as an organization, sit down and think about like, okay, what are the things that we all assume because we work here every day that we actually need to tell someone on day one so they don't have an awkward experience like you had? Because uh, every organization has the potential to do that, to create awkwardness because you don't give some some just 
key information up front. And then like, you know, it's years later and you're still remembering that awkward feeling. You don't want to have that being a day one experience for an employee. No, definitely not. And, you know, that's why one of the um, best demonstrated practices that I, I also recommend and subscribe to is to really enlist your current team members to help you come up with a list of the things that need to be covered in that regard on day one, because nobody knows better than the people who have more recently been hired. So they can uh, really help with that. Nice. Um, yeah. So you want to cover your critical work processes in part one, and you also want to take an opportunity to begin to share your culture and service philosophy. You want to talk to this new employee about how your culture and service philosophy really defines your organization beyond your physical products and offerings. So what we want to do is work with them on connecting to your customers and your fellow team members on an emotional level. So how does that culture and service connect to your customers and fellow team members on an emotional level? So this is the opportunity that you take with these new employees to share stories because stories help create emotional connections. And we really want to um, really foster those emotional connections on day one so that they start to feel a part of this organization. So two key pieces I'm hearing as part of the day one is, uh, well, maybe three key pieces. One is keep it fairly short. So I think you're saying 90 minutes, two hours. So that that's going to prevent us from doing the you know the one day, full day download and fire hose dump. Um, but the other the other two key pieces it sounds like are what are the essential things they really need to know? Like you said, using the restroom and 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 getting food and all those kinds of things. Um, but then also the the really getting to the why. Uh, what what Simon Sinek calls uh, you know start with why like what's the why behind the organization why are we here what's our mission and really getting into some of those stories that emotion that that if you can capture those three things it sounds like that's a that's a pretty good win on day one that's a great win on day one and you're absolutely right about the why that's what we want to accomplish here on day one and you know then you also want to start fostering those relationships so great way to do that make sure that you take your team member through a comprehensive tour of your facility. Um, not just the space that they're going to be working in, but walk them around the whole facility. Do introductions along the way. You want to really begin facilitating and encouraging that relationship building. And if it's feasible, share a meal with that team member on the first day. You know, bring someone else with you. Really create that engagement and connection. I really love your advice of asking some of the people in your organization who you've more recently hired because they'll tell you uh, if you've got a good relationship with them, they'll tell you what you missed when you brought them on board. And especially if you frame it of, you know, how can we do this better for the next person coming in? Uh, that's a that's a really good starting point for thinking about what that that day one experience should should look like. Um, and so uh, so you mentioned the two tiered approach. So that's day one. What happens after that? Okay, so then after that, we're going to look toward tier two. So tier two, my recommendation is that this should be conducted approximately 45 days after hire. What's the reason for not potentially going, you know, a few days later or the next week? Why 45 days later? So if you're an organization that has, you know, a couple of hundred team members, you're probably hiring a few team members every month, right? Depending. So if you do that and you bring people in, so if it's every 45 days, team members that have been there for any period during that 45 days are going to come together for part two. So you could have team members that have been there, say, five days, and you could have team members that have been there 43 days. 
So you're going to kind of have a mixture, but what this does is creates a, a larger group of people to come together and share their perceptions and observations and to start building relationship. So if you're in a smaller firm where that's not possible, uh, we have some recommendations that we can provide as we move on to kind of still create a part two experience for them, but understanding that the number of team members that are hired varies drastically depending on the size of your organization and the type of work that you do. So tier two, this is going to be something that is ideally about three hours in length. Um, So it's a little bit longer because we're doing a deep dive. I recommend putting this on your schedule for the entire year. You want to do that so it's baked into your annual plan and it occurs like clockwork and everybody at your organization just knows to expect it. Um, Once they expect it, then there won't be any surprises. There won't be scheduling challenges and things of that sort. But this is your deep dive. So what does your team member need to know to begin to grow and contribute more robustly to the organization? So what we really want to accomplish by the end of the time together at part two, you want your team members to feel educated, excited, and confident as contributors to your organization. So if you recall, when we talked about part one, part one, we're informing, we're exciting, and we're motivating. Part two, we're educating. We're continuing to excite, but we're building confidence so that they start to recognize themselves as contributors to the organization. And, you know, for this, content needs to be a bit more robust. And, of course, each organization needs to consider this. And going back to that best demonstrated practice, Ask existing team members is great, but, you know, build your content here. It's something quite a bit more robust, like allow them to share their perceptions and their observations. You know, hearing the perceptions and observations of new team members, first and foremost, that can be a goldmine for leadership, you know, because if your culture is being lived on a day-to-day, it's going to be apparent, and if it's not, that's going to be very apparent in the perceptions of a new team member. Would you agree with that, Dave? Indeed. What are some examples of things that you would do during the tier two day afterwards that you wouldn't necessarily do in the first day or you wouldn't spend as much time on? Absolutely. So when you do it this way, you can really dig into those things that you find to be the most important and valuable for your team member to be able to contribute and grow in their job. You know, if branding is an important component of your business, that should definitely be on your agenda. Function versus purpose. This is a great thing to make a module for your part two. You know, there's a lot of discussion here that can happen. And when team members see their purpose as greater than their function, then they're going to better embrace their function. So this is a really uh, impactful discussion that can happen there. And again, Let's not forget that through this entire process, we are trying to increase connection and emotional connection and that heartfelt experience so that we know that this team member is going to have longevity with us in our organization. You know, teamwork, collaboration, communication, these are all things that would be good to put on your agenda for part two. Tell me more about the function versus purpose, because I feel like there's there's something really key that's there. What is how does that emerge in that session or that conversation, and and how do you bring that out? Yeah, I think it's great. This is one that I like to spend quite a bit of time on when I facilitate this for different groups, because our function, you know, our function maybe if we're working in a grocery store, 
our function, if we're a cashier, is to scan the items and uh, ring up the sales. But our purpose is to create a genuine experience for our customers that makes them connect with our facility and want to come back time after time because they care about us as a person and like doing business with us. So it's really digging into that. And, you know, what we find is that it's not uncommon for individuals who come into uh, jobs like this that they've never thought about it that way before, that they've never really dug into it on a level that exposes the fact that there is a real purpose that they serve by being there and not just a function. So this can be a really great exercise to do in an onboarding process to really create that emotional connection. Well, that's really good coaching for me. And I bet a lot of folks that are listening is a lot of times because we've had exposure to conversations like we have on the show and the leadership books a lot of us read, I think we assume, I know I assume incorrectly, that a lot of people do think about purpose and the why behind what they do. And the reality is, like you said, Amanda, a lot of people come into organizations, even if your organization does a good job at that, not necessarily believing that or thinking that and and thinking a lot more about the function and you know what's the logistics of what I need to do. And so we have a real opportunity from a leadership standpoint and how we design an onboarding program to really be intentional about creating that purpose and that why within the culture of the organization. And what better way to do it than at the very beginning of an employee's tenure with us? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's incredibly impactful. And it's things like this, when you can uncover a way of thinking for a team member that they've never experienced before, then you're creating a real connection with them. And that means that they're probably going to be a lot more loyal to your organization. Not only that, they're going to want to continue to grow and develop in your organization because on day one, you will have uncovered an opportunity for them to do just that. So it's really great. And when you have that conversation with folks in a, in a tier two event, what does that look like? Like, How does that conversation emerge? Is it is it someone talking about that is from an experience standpoint? Is it other employees who are more tenured kind of sharing the purpose and the why and those kinds of things? Like, I'm, I'm just kind of curious logistically how that comes out because I'm, I'm sensing that as people are thinking about, they're like, okay, well, how do I do that? I really want to do that. But how do, I, how do I actually have that come up in the conversation? You know, I will tell you one of the ways that I've approached this in the past, which has been very effective. So when I was the director of, of culture with Embassy Suites by Hilton, we decided that our whole onboarding process needed to be revamped. And what we did was we determined that this was going to be best coming from fellow team members. And we decided to use the medium of video for that. You know, working with a large brand, obviously, we have access to a lot of team members in different locations. So we went out with film crews and uh, interviewed team members at various locations and asked them, what does it mean to you to work here? And how has that made a difference in your life? And having team members share their experiences, I'm going to tell you what, there were a couple of times during the filming that I got really choked up because hearing this heartfelt emotion coming out and having people share the purpose was so incredibly moving. So we took that and we put that into a lovely video and that was really what welcomed our new team members on day one. We shared this video with them, so team members welcoming new team members and sharing that information about purpose 
uh, very impactful to do it that way. So you could do it by video. You could have actual team members come in. Again, stories. That That's the way to go for something like this. Yeah, and you can get really creative. And um, you and I have both done this, Amanda, before is just, you know, getting sometimes down and dirty with things like this of you can literally get an iPhone <laughs> and just <laughs> record someone. And, you know, we all have access to be able to share things really easily these days. And uh, if that person can't be there in person, you know, I'm a big advocate. I always uh, tell organizations I'm working with when you're creating something, capture it, record it, capture it on video, capture it on audio, because then um, you've got it uh, to utilize in the future, of course, with everyone's permission, but you've got it to utilize in the future um, to be able to share some of those great experiences and conversations. And so there's so many ways to make that work, whether you've got a lot of resources or whether you're maybe just putting it together for a couple of people. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. It does not require a big budget to do this. And we are so fortunate in this age of technology to have access to so many different mediums to be able to establish that. So, yeah, I, I love that. Just continue to capture things and, and to share that. But I think one, one team member to another sharing is, is about as impactful as it gets. Oh, and it's so powerful when you see that happen and relationships build uh, when you have a chance to do that. Even if it's just a couple of people in the room, it is, uh, it is, it is really profound. It's really profound. Mm-hmm. I, is there any other ways that we should be thinking about you know, in today's world of leveraging technology, especially with the s- folks who are in smaller firms of like, you know, I'm just, I, I'm maybe one or two people in the, in the leadership team and I've got a group of people and maybe we don't have the chance to do this larger event. What are some things that you found that are possible or practical for uh, someone in that situation? First and foremost, Dave, I have to tell you, I'm a really straight shooter here. So, you know, one of the pieces of advice here I have is to really ask these leaders to challenge themselves and to ask themselves the hard questions and to be honest with their answers. So is a regular event really not possible or feasible? So I would ask everyone to sit down and really kind of do pros and cons and brainstorm and and bring in some people to play devil's advocate because we cannot ignore the, the amazing impact that this has on team members. So I really encourage people to challenge themselves to determine if it is truly not possible or feasible. Sometimes it can be inconvenient, but that doesn't mean it's not possible or feasible, right? And thinking about the onboarding experience, you know, when it's done well and what it can accomplish. So while group settings may not be feasible, um, it is still possible to make time for that team member to ensure they get the information. So as we said, technology can really be leveraged for this. So taking the time on the front end to actually put together a video or a commentary and team member testimonials, that can be a great way to approach it. So if you do that and you make it in a way that's compelling and it's interesting and it's creative, then that can certainly alleviate some of the time commitment there. But you really want to uh, do something that's going to create an impression on those new team members and make sure that it holds their attention. And then, you know, when it comes to part two, If in a smaller firm, there's not enough people that are hired every 45 or 60 days to create a group, that's okay because, you know, you can still do a deep dive over the course of those first few months. One of the things that I recommend is setting aside time for a lunch and learn. Everybody has to eat, right? Taking the time for that and uh, really digging into the same kind of things during a lunch and learn time that you would be doing in that part two in a group setting. 
So I really think it's very feasible still for smaller firms to conduct these tiered orientations. They just have to get a little bit more creative and make sure that they're putting the thought and time in on the front end to ensure that it's going to be compelling for those team members when they come on board. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the lunch and learn because that's, I mean, other than the cost of lunch, which is, you know, pretty doable in a lot of organizations, it's uh, it's essentially, you know, utilizing time that's already there. So uh, why not? Why not do a monthly event or, or once a quarter event? And I've, I know of a few clients who do that regularly, and it's something people really look forward to, and uh, they get to engage, and they get to have conversations, they get to learn together. And it really does make a difference as far as how that organization's culture is perceived. So I love that. I love that suggestion. And, you know, we, we've we gone in a lot of detail here on how you could do this. And of course, there's a lot of nuances depending on the size of your organization and what you have in practice already. I know folks are going to probably want to find out more, Amanda. Um, so one of the resources uh, that I we'd suggest is uh, to head over to Amanda's website, go to amanda-davis. Dot com. Uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes. And I know, Amanda, you'd, you'd be willing to chat with folks if they're wanting to know more or looking for some more information about the onboarding process. And you've got a lot of things you can do to help people with that, right? Absolutely. Lots of things that I can do to help with this. And, you know, this can be a daunting task for some. You know, if this is something that you've not ever put time a serious time and consideration into. If you're looking for a total overhaul, that can become a little bit overwhelming. So I have a lot of resources that I can help employ to uh, make this an easier process and to help streamline it. So love to have people bounce over there to my website and, and contact me. Sounds good. We're going to put that in the show notes. I'll have it in this week's weekly leadership guide for those of you who receive it, of course. And Amanda, one other question for you. You know, leaders are always learning, and I'm curious what's one thing that you hold true today that you didn't believe or maybe didn't even recognize five years ago? You know, five years ago, I will tell you very honestly that I did not fully recognize how important it is to put relationship before result. You know, so for much of my career, I really thought the result was the most important aspect of any business relationship. And I've been uh, very blessed to be good at producing results. So that philosophy served me well for a good portion of my career. But, you know, as I continued to progress and grow into higher and higher level executive positions, it became clear that that philosophy, it just wasn't going to sustain me. So it required a paradigm shift. Um, I had to do a lot of introspection, and some pretty hard work. And, and I can say, so, so now, being on the other side of that years later, I am definitely a firm believer and follower of the relationship first philosophy. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, I think most of us tend to have a preference either for people or task. And we've probably had that preference for a long time. And I know a lot of our audience uh, has struggled with some of the th- same things you just mentioned. And so appreciate you sharing that and just uh, your journey and navigating through that. And thank you so much, Amanda, for all your thoughts on onboarding. I know it's going to be really helpful to so many of us who are thinking about this in organizations and how we can be more effective at really onboarding folks within the organization and to make it a great experience from day one. So I thank you so much for your, uh, your, your time and your wisdom. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. It was a true pleasure. Thanks again, Amanda. If you're like me, you may not have thought a lot about employee onboarding, at least not very intentionally over your leadership career. And I know it's one that I've missed uh, more often than I'd care to admit. And now I'm thinking more intentionally about it. And that's one of the reasons that 
every single episode on this show, we look at a different aspect of leadership because leaders aren't born, they're made. We are learning as we go as leaders. We're never there. We never arrive and have it all figured out. Uh, We are consistently improving, and the show is designed to do that. And so each week, we're zeroing in on a different topic that will help all of us to become more effective leaders. And if you're tuning in for one of the first times, or maybe the first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you did. And if you haven't already, I hope that you will take my call to action to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. When you activate your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website, it gives you access to a ton more resources that are on the platform here that will support you in your leadership development. One of the most important things you get access to is the entire podcast library. Now, you can look up episodes individually by typing in the episode number, as I mentioned on every episode, but if you get into the free membership, you can actually go into the catalog and search by topic. And one of the topics that this episode is tagged with is talent development, the importance of developing great talent in our organizations. But this isn't the only conversation we've had that's relevant there. There's many episodes we've had on talent development. That's one of the buttons you'll see in that podcast library when you get in. And when you activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership the first time, you'll also get instant access to my 10-day audio course That's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. I have taken the best of the conversations over the last five, almost six years on the show and distilled them down to 10 lessons that I know that if you will tackle, uh, even if you just listen to one or two of those lessons, I know that it will help you to lead dramatically better and will also help you to get the most immediate and practical actions to become a better leader. And in addition to that, you get access to the weekly leadership guide, which comes every Wednesday, always has the show notes and a number of other resources I've tracked down for you during the week. And so if you haven't already activated that, go over to coachingforleaders.com and you can activate it right away and get access to all of that immediately. And I look forward to seeing you inside the membership portal. Now, there are a few episodes, speaking of talent development, That will assist you if today's conversation was helpful in thinking even further about developing talent in your organization and training. And one of those episodes is way back on episode 30. I aired an episode called Six Mistakes Leaders Make Sending People to Training. Uh, In that episode, I go through six big mistakes that I see that leaders often make when they have made a decision or maybe someone suggested that they should send people in their organization to training, or maybe they've decided themselves they're going to send a bunch of people or a person in their organization to a training class or a training program. And I have seen leaders make a lot of mistakes on this over the years, over the last 10, 15 years of being in the training industry myself. And in that episode, I cataloged what are the six most common mistakes I see. If you are sending someone to training or thinking about doing it, definitely check out episode number 30. Also potentially helpful to you from this conversation today is episode number 36, what every leader ought to know about sending people to training. So when you are sending people to training, what are the right things to do? What should you be thinking about proactively? And I welcome Janet Riley, an old friend of Bonnie and myself on that show. She's an expert in training, has been doing it her entire career. And so that's episode 36. I'd certainly encourage you to check that out if you are thinking about talent development in your organization. And then finally, on episode number 135, Bonnie and I devoted that entire Q&A episode on the topic of how to get the most out of training. And we took questions specifically related to that topic. And so if that's something, again, you're interested in thinking more about 
How do you develop talent in your organization, specifically around training? Episode 135 is a great one to check out. All of those past episodes you can get to directly just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number that will take you right there. And uh, let me know if you check out any of those episodes, and I would love to hear how they've been beneficial to you. And on the next episode, I am really pleased to welcome Chris DeFirio. Chris is the host of the Keys to the Shop podcast. He is going to be joining us next week on the show to help us to discover how to lead part-time staff. Chris is in the coffee industry, has been spending his entire career managing and leading part-time employees. He has done some wonderful thinking on not only the theory behind it, but the practical things he's discovered in his work. So definitely check it out next week, especially if in your organization you are leading part-time staff or leading others who are leading part-time staff. And thank you so much this week to Perbal for the kind review on iTunes. Thank you, Perbal. I so appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a rating or review for the show, thank you in advance if you decide to do that. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Have a great week and see you next week to talk about part-time staff. Take care.